Uh, certainly glad you're here with us. I'm Daryl. I'm the, um, I'm not sure I'm on here. I'm the, uh, I'm Daryl. I'm the assistant pastor here at 12 South and uh, a joy to be with you to bring the uh, word of the Lord with you this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, it'll also be on the screen. If not, we're going to be in Philippians chapter one, Philippians one. Uh, we entered into this series last week. It's kind of the introductory. Uh, Elliot gave us a uh, a quick look, like an overview of what uh, the book of Philippians was, how the Philippian church came to be. And uh, this morning we're going to get into uh, some of the meat of what Paul is uh, really wanting to teach us uh, about suffering, about the gospel, and all those things. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, we'll be in 12 through 18, and then we'll skip over to 27 through 30. Uh, so let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word from the book of Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And skipping over to 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Great and gracious Heavenly Father, this morning as we gather uh, to learn of what you have for us, learn of what your word says, uh, may you uh, tune our hearts, uh, tune our hearts to sing your grace, tune our hearts to see uh, the beauty that is your son Jesus, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, invade us uh, and move us, uh, get in our space and, uh, and point us uh, to the great lover of our souls in whose name we do pray, amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought that you were going to die, uh, sort of like an accidental death, not like I was in the hospital for six weeks, um, and not the like, hey, if I don't get a homecoming, I'm going to die, I kind of die, but the real like, I've just, like, I'm going to put my head down and just sort of plow through this and know that this might be the end of my life. Uh, I was with some friends. We went and um, got on a pontoon boat, y'all. I love pontoon boats. Uh, I'm basically a pontoon boat. I'm kind of a human pontoon boat. Uh, I move real slow, smell like hot dogs. Uh, and, and my friends called me. This was, uh, they've been doing this for like 10 or 11 years where they have like a fantasy football draft. And that morning they all go on a pontoon boat. Uh, well, Nine years into that tradition, they called me, so they must not be that good of friends. Uh, and I got to join them, and, uh, and it was wonderful. And we, like, had everything planned out, uh, all the fun we were going to have. We had our coolers. We had all the food and everything like that. Uh, and everyone had thought everything through except none of us had looked at the weather forecast. Uh, and none of us thought to pull up our phones and maybe see what that looks like. And so we hop on uh, the pontoon boat. We're at Percy Priest, super classy. Uh, and we're, we're going over to these cliffs that everybody jumps off of. There's like dirty needles and all that kind of stuff down there. 
Um, and so we're at these cliffs, and we're all jumping, and then the sky, as if we had just blinked, got so dark. And then, uh, like, we started hearing some rumbles of thunder, and we're like, hey, is this supposed to rain today? Uh, and so we all, like, run and pull up our phones as if that's going to help. And we found out, hey, there's a big, like, a big green blob on the radar, and it's right over our heads, and we're not getting out of this thing. Uh, we can't book it to the dock, right, because this thing moves six miles an hour. And, uh, and so we are like, what do we do? Uh, we need to get out of, obviously, the open water. And so our only thought is uh, uh, Hobson Pike is that bridge that crosses uh, Percy Priest. We thought if we could just make it to that bridge, uh, and then we'll just ride it out there. Uh, so we, we all jump in. We pull up our, our little anchor. It's like a railroad beam or whatever. Um, it's not a real anchor. And so we pull that up, and then we're like, we're just we're going as fast, you know, like the speed of smell. Like we're going so slow to try to get to this bridge. And, um, and it just starts pouring, like just a deluge. And there's lightning going off. There's thunder. I'm terrified. I had just gotten married. And I was like, well, I guess this is it. Like we're not going to have kids. Uh, there's, nope, sorry, babe. Um, hope you enjoyed your one week. And uh, I'm under this beach towel, just like in the back, because I'm like, that'll protect me. And, uh, and my friend Luke is at the front of the boat. He's sort of taunting the storm like, like Lieutenant Dan. He's kind of like an idiot, like from Forrest Gump. Um, and he's like taunting. My friend Zach just kind of throws his hands up. He's like, I don't even know where we're going. I can't see anything. Um, and then the loudest thunderclap we'd ever heard goes off. And then we like saw lightning hit the water. And then we all just huddle in the back. No one's manning the pontoon anymore. It's still just creeping along. And we're all just in the back, and I'm like, this is it. Like, we're, like, telling each other how much we love each other and, like, what we meant. Like, man, you were just my best friend this whole time. I, I just love this. Um, when we get to the Apostle Paul, uh, he faces death the way that I didn't uh, and the way that my friends did not. Um, we get to Paul in Philippians. Uh, he's in prison probably for the last time. Um, he's going to be facing his execution uh, he's, he knows that his time is sort of up, and so he's in prison, he's about to die, and he's not cowering. Uh, he's not uh, scared. Instead, he's convinced of something. He's convinced that God is going to use his suffering to advance the gospel, uh, that his suffering is a result of God putting him there, uh, and for that, he could rejoice, uh, that uh, God is going to use his suffering to advance the gospel, and because God uses suffering to advance the gospel, uh, we, believers, can trust that our suffering is never meaningless. Uh, Paul knew that he was going to die, he's in prison, but he knew that it wasn't for nothing that he was there, uh, that God had a purpose through his suffering. So we're going to look at this uh, gospel advancement that Paul's talking about this morning in three points, uh, the gospel advancing through exile the gospel advancing through ambition, and the gospel advancing through suffering. So let's take a deeper look at what God has for us this morning with the uh, gospel advancement through exile. So if we go to uh, verses 12 through 14, Paul, as we said previously, he's in a Roman prison. He's awaiting his execution. And uh, it's not looking good for Paul. The Philippian church wants to hear from him. He had come in, planted, and gone like he typically does. And they were worried about him. And he had caught wind of that, and so he had his buddy, so he pens this letter, has his buddy Epaphroditus, if you're thinking of uh, baby names, keep that one at the top of the list. Epaphroditus uh, is going to deliver this message to the Philippian church. Uh, they were very dear to Paul, 
Elliot told us last week kind of the origins of that church in Acts 16. Uh, the first three members were a rich lady named Lydia, uh, a slave girl who had been converted, and a Philippian jailer who had been converted. So sort of this blue-collar dude, uh, this slave girl, and this rich lady. And though they were very different, they bonded together. Uh, the gospel spread all throughout uh, Philippi, throughout Macedonia. And Paul wants to report to them that though he's imprisoned, he's actually thriving. Um, they would, like we would, and rightfully so, think, oh, he's in prison, he must be, like, he's probably not getting enough to eat, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Paul is saying, I'm actually thriving while I'm here. Uh, and isn't that the strange thing about Paul? Uh, that's the thing about Paul that makes me hate him a little bit, uh, because he's always, he's just one of those people who can't be held down. Uh, he's like the Black Knight in uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, if you've ever seen that. Uh, he just can't be convinced that he's in trouble. And... Uh, Let's consider the back of Paul's baseball card for just a second. He persecutes the church. Uh, he's then converted on the road to Damascus where he encounters Jesus. Uh, and that encounter left him blind for three days. Um, once he can see again and once he's healed, uh, he begins to just start preaching immediately. He, or he riles up uh, the town so much that they have to lower him over the town wall in a basket uh, so, so he, people don't kill him. Uh, then he sort of disappears, uh, he goes and, and makes tents and makes some money and he studies. Uh, and then as he's, back on, as he's back on the scene, uh, by the end of his life he will have been shipwrecked three times, maybe four times. Um, he suffered numerous beatings, he's imprisoned all the time. Uh, he's always being locked up, he's placed on house arrest for a few years, uh, he's thrown in prison again. Rome kind of forgets that he's in prison for like two years, and he's a Roman citizen. And they had beaten him, which you couldn't do to a Roman citizen, so he sort of got out there. Um, and and kind of worst of all is that he was bit by a snake. That on one of his shipwreck journeys, he gets like he, he swims to safety, then gets to the shore, and the snake bites him. Uh, Paul's had just such an interesting and kind of crazy life and his perspective on suffering is mind-boggling because in this portion of Scripture, he writes, I'm Paul, and I'm imprisoned for Christ. He never says, I'm in prison uh, because like, those Jewish nerds put me here. Or I'm in prison because Rome's the worst. He always says, hey, I'm in prison because Christ has me in prison. Um, Paul's perspective on suffering is so, is so inspiring, and it's not this like power of positive thinking or if you can believe it, you can achieve it kind of nonsense that we learned in school. Paul's mind and his heart are so focused on the person and the work of Jesus on his behalf, uh, so enamored with the mercy of God that he says, it's God who put me here. It's God who put me here. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. Uh, I'm not a prisoner because the Jewish guys want me to be here. I'm here because God has me here. He could not be squashed. And so he writes to the, his Philippian friends here and says that what has happened to him has only served to advance the gospel. Uh, this is why Paul is so fascinating of a person. It's as if to say, hey, Rome, you want to throw me in prison? Go ahead, because I'll convert all of your soldiers. And I'll convert the whole prison while I'm there. Uh, look at what he says in verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that his imprisonment is for Christ. He's in a Roman prison. They're not our fancy American prisons. Uh, and so he is chained like to an officer. 
so every shift change, there's a new guard who has to come in and be chained to Paul. Uh, that guard's going to hear Paul speak of the gospel to his friends, to his visitors. Paul's going to share the gospel with anybody that's chained to him. Uh, because Paul knew, hey, I'm not chained to you, you're chained to me. Uh, and because you're chained to me, I'm going to share the gospel with you. Uh, I'm going to share of what God has done for you. Because Paul knew that the person on the other end of that chain was someone for whom Christ died. Paul never saw him as an enemy. Uh, he saw him as a convert. He saw him as someone who has yet to come to Christ. It was never lost on Paul that Jesus Christ could save sinners. He tells this to his understudy Timothy uh, when he writes a letter in 1 Timothy that he is the chief of sinners. That if you line all the sinners up in history from the beginning of time to now, Paul says, my name's at the top of the list. I'm the worst one. Uh, and this isn't Paul saying like, woe is me. This is Paul who actually believes it. Uh, Paul, who is so powerful of a man, uh, who is so enamored with the spirit that when he passed by people, when his shadow passed over folks, they were healed. He's saying, I'm the worst sinner in the room, in any room that I'm in. Uh, and because of that, and because of what Jesus has done for me, this guard can hear the gospel. And, and he's saying in 13 and 14, uh, that that story uh, actually emboldens believers who read it. Uh, that there are those who have heard uh, of Paul's suffering and heard of what Paul's doing in prison who have been drawn out of their timidity, out of their timid state, and out of their fear, uh, and have actually found uh, to be emboldened by such a story. Uh, when I was in seminary, I went to seminary in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and uh, on kind of the first day, it's, it's, it's like this everywhere. You do like the cursory icebreakers and uh, you have to like tell everybody what your name is and like one funny fact about you or whatever. Don't do that to people. If you own a business, stop it because it's the worst. Um, but I met a student named Alan uh, who was from China. Alan was his American name. He just told me to call him Alan because he told me his, like, his Chinese name and I was like, well, we're just going to go with Alan. Um, and Alan, uh, he sat next to me on the first day of class, and uh, everyone's like, like it starts in the front corner, and it's, you know, the, like we're a bunch of seminary nerds. Like everybody's trying to tell like Bible puns and like talk about how funny they are. Um, and then it gets to Alan, and Alan says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm on the run from the Chinese government um, because I hosted church in my house. Uh, the government had wiretapped uh, my house and found out that uh, I was running a church in my basement. And they told me to stop, and I told him no. And he's like, they've cut my power off, like they've taken my money, uh, and then they said they were gonna send people to kill me. And so he was like, well, I wanna learn more. And so he's like, America's the best place to do that. I've heard that this is like a great place to study. So he sneaks out through Hong Kong, flies to the USA um, at the risk of his life um, to study in our seminary. And he would Skype when Skype was a thing uh, back in the day. Uh, he would Skype with his Chinese church at 2.30 in the morning on Sunday, uh, and he would preach to them. And he's, like, telling us all this story, and we're all, like, baffled. Like, we're like man, are you serious? Uh, you're an outlaw. And he, like, can't go back uh, to China. They'll arrest him when he, when he gets there. So he's, he's, he's stuck in America. He's already planted a Chinese-speaking church in Charlotte. Uh, but he's, he's in America, and he's in America for good. And then the professor like looks at me and he's like, well, Daryl, what about you? And I was like, I'm not talking 
after that. Uh, I don't have anything of interest to say to you. Uh, because what I wanted to do was run through a wall to go tell people about Jesus because of what Alan had done. Uh, and because of his story, and there are so many of us who were classmates of Alan who were, uh, who were, who were more in love with Jesus because of Alan's story. Uh, and this is Paul's point in writing. He's saying, I'm not here because God has forgotten about me. Uh, I'm not here because Rome's going to win. I'm here because God has me here to advance his gospel. And um, I'm not here because God doesn't know what to do with me. Uh, and whatever suffering you find yourself in this morning, uh, whatever heartache you find yourself in, uh, you're not there because God's forgotten about you. Um, you're not there because God doesn't know what to do with you. Uh, you're there because God has a purpose for that. Uh, and we may never know what that is. Uh, he may never share that with us on this side of glory. But what we do know is that because of what Paul teaches uh, and because of what we have seen uh, in the Gospels about Jesus and his life, uh, that suffering has a bottom, uh, and that suffering has a purpose, and that suffering can be redeemed, and that we're not in these struggles, and we're not in this exile uh, alone. That when suffering comes to us, uh, Jesus is there with us. Uh, this is what Paul is wanting to say. I'm here in this prison, but I'm here because Jesus has me here. Um, and he, he even points out at the end of, uh, of 13 and 14 that there are going to be those who uh, are freed uh, out of their timidity uh, and, and freed into boldness to share this about Christ. But he tells us in 15 through 17 uh, that there's actually going to be folks who are going to make money off of this. I was going to bring us to our second point, gospel advancement through ambition. Uh, in verses 15 and 18 here, it's seemingly a strange thing to toss right in the middle of a letter. Uh, but coming on the hills of 14, it makes sense. Paul is saying uh, there are those who are going to preach the gospel out of envy and out of rivalry. And there are going to be those who are preaching it that don't understand it, and they're going to do it poorly. And Paul says, that's okay. Uh, I'm thankful for that. But he, he's saying that there are going to be those who are going to take advantage of the fact that he's in prison. Um, and they're going to come in and try to steal some of his people. Uh, and they're going to steal some of his converts because Paul was the guy. Uh, like, he wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, there have been few people in history who have had the impact that Paul has had, who have had the ministry uh, that Paul has had. Imagine being a contemporary with him. Uh, you're trying to start a church, and over here is Paul, uh, who has such insight and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's doing great, and you're, and you're kind of fledgling a little bit. Uh, and then the rivalry and the competition pops up. This is what Paul is talking about, uh, that there are those who were jealous of him, and I doubt they were jealous of the beatings that he was taking, uh, but they're jealous of the growth that he was experiencing, uh, both personally and how he was just sort of turning the world upside down by his witness uh, and all that God has told him. Uh, and there's no reason to believe here that Paul's talking about, like, devious preachers. Uh, like, they weren't non-Christians and they weren't the Judaizers that he encounters in the book of Galatians. Because he actually tells them they're preaching a false gospel. Uh, he's talking about people who are actually preaching Christ's uh, dead, buried, and resurrected, crucified for us, the atonement for all sins, uh, but they're doing it in such a way that they're getting a little credit uh, and, that they're, and that they're really kind of uh, padding their resume. Uh, and he's saying to them, even if that's happening, it's okay because the gospel is still going forward. This is another reason we kind of don't like Paul a little bit. Like he's okay with that. He's saying it's not a threat to me, uh, that he's so confident 
and who he is in Christ Jesus and all that Christ has done for him, that he says, even though they're running my name through the mud, I'm still going to rejoice because the gospel is going forward. Uh, The gospel was all that mattered to him. Uh, Its advancement uh, was all that mattered, Um, even through kind of weird ways. Uh, Part of my own story is I, I, I prayed the prayer to receive Jesus, whatever that means, um, when I was 14, then I started drinking three weeks later. Uh, but at, uh, at that time, I'd just gone to a DC Talk concert. I don't know if you know who that is. Their music still slaps, BT Dubs. Uh, look them up on Spotify. Um, I had gone to this DC Talk concert, and my youth minister was giving me a ride home. He had this little red Ford Ranger. And he looked over at me. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. And he said, hey, if I flip this truck over in a ditch and you die... Uh, will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Uh, let's not test it. Uh, not interested. I'm not interested in figuring that out right now. Um, I've got some plans. Uh, and he's, I, I was like, dude, I don't know. And he keeps telling me, he's like, well, I've heard just from other folks in the youth group that like, you cuss a lot at school um, and that you're, like, you're kind of mean to your teachers and that kind of stuff. You like cheat on tests, which was all true. Uh, but he was like, I, I just heard these things about you. I'm worried about you, and I'm wondering if you're going to go... Uh, if you're going to go to heaven or hell, and then he starts telling me what hell's like in his very Baptist way of telling me what hell's like. And I was like, if hell's worse than this conversation, I don't want to go. Uh, I just want this to stop. I just, I'm just trying to go home, bro. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'll pray your prayer, sure. And he, so we prayed this prayer, and uh, he's like, when we get back to the church parking lot, I had five friends who had come to the concert with me. He's like, I want you to tell them what happened. And I was like, how much detail do you want to go into? Because you're not coming out the best in the story. Um, he's like, just tell them you became a Christian. And I was like, hey, guys, I prayed prayer, became a Christian. They're like, oh, cool, we want to do that too. Uh, so they prayed this prayer in the parking lot next to this dirty church van and became Christians. And he then said, meet me back here tomorrow uh, after your baseball practice. I want to take you to the Christian bookstore. And I assumed he wanted to buy us a Bible, which was fine with me. I didn't, really, you know, I didn't mind that. He was like, I, I, want to, I want to show you guys some music you ought to be listening to. And I was like, well, I don't, I've never read scripture. I don't even know what scripture is, but I guess uh, yeah, we'll get some CDs. Um, and uh, he takes us to his store. He's like, I know that the music y'all listen to is really bad, and that's probably why you cuss so much. Um, and so here, here are some, some artists that you might like. And so we walk into this Christian bookstore, and back in the corner, there were like all these signs on each row. And one of the signs said, if you love Pearl Jam, you'll really like Third Day. And I was like, I mean, I have no reason not to believe you. I don't know who you are. Um, and then the next one was like, if you love Dr. Dre, you'll love T-Bone. I'm like, who the heck is T-Bone? Um, and so I bought my T-Bone album, and I bought my third day album. It had a picture of a bus on the front of it. Um, and so I bought those. They weren't nearly as good as Pearl Jam or Dr. Dre. Uh, T-Bone, if you're listening, T-Bone, if you're live streaming, good try, my friend, but you didn't make it. Um, and I was thinking, like, even as I'm sitting here now, uh, to tell that story, like, God used it. Uh, God used, uh, I, don't think my, I don't think my youth pastor was like a bad guy. I just think he didn't know what he was doing. Um, and like I'm not interested in emulating that or like imitating it. And I won't take you to that store down the road and make you trade out your albums. Um, but God uses uh, those moments uh, to advance really his purposes. Uh, that's how powerful the scriptures are. That's how powerful the work of Jesus is. Uh, that even uh, folks who don't really know what they're doing uh, can still uh, advance the gospel. And, and praise the Lord for that. Um, this is how Paul 
loves his rivals. Look at how he loves those who are trying to take him down, which raises the question, how do we love our own rivals? Uh, How do we love those who are succeeding at something we're really good at, um, but they just seem to be doing better? Either they have the right connections, or they caught a lucky break, or they went on The Voice. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we engage with our hearts in those moments uh, of jealousy when jealousy pops up? Where do we turn uh, to compensate for what we're not, or for what we don't have? Uh, this is what Paul is saying. Uh, have the confidence uh, that I have. Have the confidence in Jesus uh, that everything that is happening to you is happening for a purpose. Uh, and that purpose is to know him better, for you to become more like Jesus himself. Uh, that's why this suffering has come in uh, to our lives. What does it mean uh, to be so confident in Christ that we would be untouchable uh, like Paul seems to be? I don't mean cold, and I don't mean guarded, uh, but genuinely excited uh, when good things happen to that person who's our nemesis. Uh, I have a nemesis in every stage in every area of my life. Um, There's one in this room right now. You know who you are. Um, And Paul is saying, how do you love that person that you're a little jealous of? Um, And even if they're getting ahead of you uh, by means that you wouldn't exactly employ, Paul is saying, how do you love that person? Look at what I'm doing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says a lot. Um, And asking us to investigate who we are in those moments and to take those, uh, those thoughts and those feelings to Jesus and ask him to do what only he can do. Because it's only through the deep confidence given by him that our ambition is rightly ordered. Uh, ambition's not wrong, right? We, it's good to be ambitious. Uh, this city was built on ambition, right? It's, great, it's a great thing. Uh, Paul is saying make sure it's rightly ordered um, and that the gospel still advances through everything that we do, uh, through all of our work. Uh, whether we're in a, a sacred space like this or we're in the secular world, um, however we work, we work uh, to the glory and to the goodness of Christ. Um, and that, uh, the gospel is always going to advance, uh, even and especially in our suffering, which is our last point, advancement through uh, kind of obvious suffering. If you look at Paul as he puts a bow on this chapter in 27 through 29, He tells us that everything he has set out to teach us through his own suffering, through his own story, will likely be your story as well. Uh, You may not be imprisoned. You might be imprisoned. I don't know. Um, But you're going to suffer, is what Paul's saying. Uh, And that we're going to share, as he says, uh, that we should not only believe in Christ, but also suffer for his sake. Uh, That because we are Christians this morning, Uh, And because we are following Jesus and because we have rejected all that the world has offered us and all that the flesh and the devil has offered us, uh, to forsake that and to follow Jesus, it means uh, we're going to have suffering and we're going to have hardship. Um, But it also means that our suffering has a bottom. And our suffering has a bottom and our suffering has a purpose. And that purpose is known to God. It might be known to you. It may not be known to you. Um, But it, it doesn't happen just for chance, right? There's no comfort in random chance. There's no comfort in spontaneity. Um, The suffering has to be seen through the lens of the gospel and through the lens uh, that nothing can come to me that doesn't first pass through the hand of God, that doesn't first pass across his desk. That's why we talked about Job when we started uh, and sang that song that we sang, uh, because Job encounters, right, like Satan and God are talking to each other, 
Satan tells God, hey, Job only follows you because you're good to him and you gave him all this stuff. Uh, if you take all that stuff away, he's going to curse you. Uh, and God says, well, let, we'll take it. Uh, you can't have his life, but you can take all the other stuff. Uh, then all his kids are dead, all his animals are dead. Uh, his, he gets boils, whatever those are. Uh, he's like scraping his boils off his skin. Everything goes bad for Job. He shaves his head, and then he screams out in worship, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and takes away. He never lost sight uh, that even in the worst of circumstances, and it was bad for Job, y'all, even in the worst of those circumstances, he can look and say, I still trust the God who created me. I still trust his story. Uh, think of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. Uh, the one who invented all of this, right? He created it all. He could snap his fingers and have 10,000 angels show up. All of those things uh, that Christ set aside uh, to suffer for our sake, uh, to, to live a life that we should have lived, to follow the law to every jot and tittle, as Scripture says, uh, to then uh, die a criminal's death and then be raised again from the dead. All those things that Christ suffered for us, he's saying you're going to go through this too, but I'm not calling you to go anywhere that I haven't already been myself. Uh, that's the beauty of Jesus. Uh, that's the beauty of Emmanuel, who is God with us, that he walks with us through that suffering. Uh, that our suffering has a bottom, and our suffering is not meaningless. Uh, my friend Robert, uh, he, was, uh, he was a pastor when I was in college. He's still, he's still a pastor now, uh, but he was my pastor in college. Uh, he had a son uh, who died five days after he was born. And so he lived just like a handful of minutes, right, uh, a handful of days. Uh, and then he passed away. And uh, he was telling the story that uh, well-meaning Christians went up to him and were like, hey, your son was taken way too soon. Uh, he was taken way too early. Uh, God just wanted his angel back. Like, that's what it was. And he's preaching the funeral for his son, and he said, I know you mean well uh, when you say those things, uh, but it's not comforting. It's not comforting for me uh, to hear that my son was taken too early uh, or that it was, that it was an accident uh, or that God wanted his angel back, whatever the heck that means. Uh, he's like, that, that doesn't comfort me. What comforts me is to know uh, that my son lived the exact amount of days my son was intended to live. Uh, my son took the exact number of breaths that he was supposed to take. Uh, that when I interacted with him, that was God's plan for my son. And those five days that he lived on this earth uh, were five days of purpose for him. And then when he died, he's going to hear what I, he heard what I'm going to hear uh, when I encounter my risen Lord. That my son heard, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your eternal rest. He's like, that's what brings me comfort. Uh, because I can't trust a God who would leave all that stuff to chance. Uh, who would say, oh, if he dies, he dies, like a Russian and Rocky. Like, that's not who God is. He said, I trust God, and I trust Jesus, and I know my son is with him because the scripture tells me uh, that his life had a meaning, his life had purpose, uh, and that God counts the days of the saints and that he welcomes them home. He said, that's what brings me comfort. Um, our suffering, friends, has a bottom. Uh, our suffering has a bottom. God's grace does not. Um, and I don't want to trivialize your suffering. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, 
I know it's hard. Uh, I've, I've been in suffering. I've, I've, I've come out of suffering. We all experience it. We know how difficult it is. But what's also true at the same time uh, is that God is there with us uh, and that God sees us and that God knows us. Uh, because we think of uh, this master plan of hell, right, that, uh, that the devil dreamed up way back in Genesis uh, to get Adam and Eve uh, to rebel against God um, and that if they could just get, get man to disobey God, then this whole idea would, would, would go to pot. Uh, and that if uh, we can just kill Jesus, if, I, if we can just kill him and put him on a cross and end his life, uh, then this gospel story will die. If we can throw Paul into prison and end his life, then this whole thing's going to die. And then some 2,000 whatever years later, we're still here, right? Christianity's still spreading. It spreads actually more, it seems, in, in moments of hardship uh, than it does in, in moments of ease. Uh, and if God can do that with a master plan of hell, then there's no evil in your life that he can't, for his glory, turn uh, to good. Uh, that's how much he loves us. That's what he does for us. Uh, let's pray together. Our great and gracious Heavenly Father Jesus, uh, our King, uh, we come uh, to you undone by such mercy, uh, undone by, uh, Father God, what you authored uh, in way back in eternity past, uh, that when you looked down the hall of history, you saw us uh, and said, I will redeem them uh, through the blood of my own son. Uh, it will cost uh, it'll cost me, it'll cost my son his life uh, to buy them back, uh, and I will gladly do it. Uh, Jesus, we're thankful uh, that you were obedient to death, even death on a cross, uh, that you uh, were the one who accomplished uh, that salvation on our behalf. Uh, and Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, that you apply it to our hearts, uh, that we can come uh, to Midtown 12 South and sing out praises to you, even in the midst of great heartache uh, and suffering, uh, and shame and guilt, uh, you are still good and you are still God. Um, and that we can sing songs like we're about to sing, uh, that mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, your church waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Uh, that we can sing of how great you are. That we can stand in awesome wonder, uh, as the song says, uh, of all that you've given us. Uh, so God, be with us as we continue in worship. Uh, Jesus, uh, move our hearts. Holy Spirit, move our hearts uh, that we would love you more uh, because of it. And it's in your son's name we do pray. Amen.